Welcome everyone to Woodburn Baptist Church. It's a delight to, to have you as a part of worship this morning. Especially good to welcome all of you joining us by way of video. Franklin Campus, Perry, Oklahoma, The Overflow. We love you guys. Thank you so much for participating with us. Uh, I am not where you are, but God is where you are. And it is his word that we preach and his word that, uh, that we pray will be lifted up today. So join together with us. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Everyone turn to Mark chapter 10. Just begun a new message series leading us up to the time of Easter entitled Passionate Questions. Passionate Questions. Just taking a look, diving into certain stories between here and, and, and Calvary itself, the road to Calvary. And paying close attention that, to the questions that are asked. The road to Calvary is marked by very, very passionate questions. Some of them asked by Jesus himself to his disciples. Other questions posed to Jesus from those he met along the road. And we're going to look at those questions and try to apply them all to our lives. The question this morning is another question that Jesus asks, and it's a question that he asks James and John at one particular moment as they come to him uh, as he makes his way to Jerusalem. How many of you remember the, the you're going to age yourself perhaps unless you have tv land or something ever seen the show i dream of genie have ever seen it yeah is it on tv land have any young people ever seen it yeah yeah all right uh, awesome yeah i dream of genie man it, it was it was a tremendous show uh, barbara eden when i was like six years old barbara eden was a babe y'all, do y'all remember her they never let her belly button show on tv that's what tv was like in those days that would be considered obscene do you remember the theme song can you sing it Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, I like you guys. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, Agumagini, this, this guy who was an astronaut found a bottle on the beach. He picked up the bottle. I think it had a cork in it or something. I'm not remembering. It was, it's been 40 years ago. He took the cork out, whatever. And what happens? Yeah, the genie comes out. Yeah, the genie comes popping out. And then what's a genie do? What, what does she do? From that point on, she serves him. And it's actually kind of awesome. I think his name was, what, Major Nelson, something like that. But she called him Master. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Now, this is where we all start sort of falling into this. Wouldn't that be cool to have an all-powerful being that calls you Master? Uh, an Aladdin's lamp or anything like that where something just pops out and it has power to do anything in the world. It can do anything and it's going to obey you. Now that's starting to sound pretty awesome. And that's probably why that same idea, that kind of story or that kind of theme, Aladdin and and Aladdin's lamp or genie in a bottle, it's probably why from generation to generation, we love that kind of story. When I was a kid, I would think, you know, what would I do if I found Aladdin's lamp and out popped a genie and the genie would say, I'm going to give you three wishes. Yeah, I figured this out a long time ago. What would be my first wish? More wishes. Yeah. Why wouldn't you just ask for more wishes? Because honestly, I would want that to go on forever. The whole thing where I get whatever I want just by asking. An all-powerful genie, all-powerful being that's going to accept my every wish as their command. Now that sounds pretty good. And unfortunately, a lot of us bring that same kind of fantasy into our spiritual lives. Because honestly, that's the kind of relationship that we want with God. We want a God who's just going to pop out when we want him to pop out. And at that moment, we want a God who's going to accept our every wish as his command. 
But that's not how it works. Open scripture with me to Mark chapter 10, verse 32. That's not how it works. They were now on the way up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Let's, let's stop right there. When in the gospel of Mark, whenever you can go ahead and stand, that's fine. If you want to stand out of reverence for God's word, that's good. In the gospel of Mark, but I'm going to stop and preach. You're going to stand longer than you expected. In the Gospel of Mark, whenever it talks about going to Jerusalem now, we're making that walk to the cross. Jerusalem is the place where Jesus is going to be crucified, where Jesus is going to be put to death. And now this is the third time that Jesus is going to stop and tell his disciples about his suffering. The the third time. But notice right here, the disciples were filled with awe and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Awe and fear. And Jesus hasn't really opened his mouth yet. It's just the presence of Christ stirs awe and fear. Awe in the hearts of the disciples that know him and love him. Fear in the hearts of the crowd. It's just the very presence of Christ. That's the power he brings. Stirs awe and fear. I just wonder right now, those of us in this house, those of us worshiping him today, are are those things even present? Any of you who call yourself a follower of Christ, do you sense awe in his presence? Do you ever feel fear in his presence? Because my hunch is, if your heart is never stirred to awe or fear, you've never been in his presence. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said. We're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days he will rise again. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. Now, what they say here literally is, we want you to do anything we ask. Now, how many of you are parents? If your kid walked up and said, Mama, I'm going to ask you a question, you just say yes. Would you go for that? Teacher, they said, we want you to do whatever we ask. What is it that I can do for you, Jesus asked. What is your request? They replied, When you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Underline that, please. Let that sink down deep in your heart. Among you, it will be different. 
Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your, say the word, servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, say the word, others, to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. I was at a, a funeral one day. The, uh, as you know, typically at a funeral, this was years ago, typically at a funeral, the uh, family will come in an hour ahead of everybody else and have a private viewing, a, a, a private funeral time. And so I was there with the family and it was very, very small. It was mostly just the widow herself. She'd lost her husband. He was an old farmer. Uh, and so I was in there with the family and the, and the, the widow and we had a, a, a short prayer just before the public was invited to come on in. And most of you know how that works around here. But there was one man, he was a neighbor and I knew him too. And he's a good man, but there's one man who's a neighbor who was out there the whole time, not family, but he got there early and he stood outside the door just the whole time that, that the widow and the family was inside there. He just waited, 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 almost as if he was determined to be the first one in when the, when the public was, was invited in. And he was. Uh, when the family's hour was up and the door was opened, the public was brought in, this man was very, very first. And, and he rushed over first to the coffin and he stood and paid his respects a moment. Then he rushed straight back and went to the widow. And I was standing right there beside her. And this man said, he said, listen, I just want to say, I am so very sorry for your loss. I, I am sorry for your husband. He was a very fine man. And I'm just wondering, what are you going to do with his tractor? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did. He did. I'm so sorry for your loss. What are you going to do with his tractor? It came out just like that. What was he thinking about? Mostly himself. Now, he had to know. I know that he knew that he was at the funeral home. I know that he knew he was talking to the widow. I know that he knew that her heart was broken. But bless his heart, he could not help himself. He really, really wanted a tractor. He really wanted the dead man's tractor who obviously never going to use it again. Somebody's got to ride it. Why not him? That's what he's thinking. Why not me? And so there he goes straight into the funeral home and asks for the dead man's tractor. Yeah, amazing. That kind of callousness, that kind of cluelessness, that kind of self-absorption is very, very familiar to us, isn't it? It's very familiar to us because honestly, most all of us are like that. Now, whether or not we always act on it, we typically think about ourselves first. We're very, very self-centered people, nearly all of us. To prove the point right now, if I could take a group picture of everybody in this room or everybody in your room, if I could take a group picture and then hand you a copy of the picture, when you get the group picture of all of us together, who's the first person you're going to look for? Yourself. Yeah, me too. Me too. So James and John and all of the disciples and obviously a great crowd are, are walking with Jesus. And Jesus is talking. Don't miss that. He's talking. And what's he talking about? What is he saying? He begins to tell them about his suffering. He's talking about himself. And they know that he's talking about him. And he's telling them the most dreadful things. I'm going up to Jerusalem. Honestly, that's the road they're on right now. This is what's about to happen. He says, I'm going up to Jerusalem. When I get there, I'm going to be arrested. 
And when they arrest me, they're going to beat me. Now, this is the third time that Jesus has tried to tell them this, but this is the most detailed, most accurate in his description of of what Jesus is going to suffer. Jesus says in this scripture, they're going to flog me. They're going to whip me. They're going to spit upon me. They're going to mock me. They're going to kill me. Jesus is sharing this information, this heart-wrenching information. I'm about to be killed, he says. But after three days, I'm going to rise again. Now, he's been saying that, but it's at that moment, that very moment, that James and John walk up. And what do they ask? Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. How about when you get to your kingdom, when you're finally up there sitting on your throne in glory, can we ride shotgun? How could you possibly listen to what Jesus was saying and then that be the next thing out of your mouth? Obviously, they're not listening. Obviously, not at all connected, not at all focused on Jesus and what he's trying to tell them. They're just not even there because they are completely absorbed within themselves. Absolutely, callously absorbed within themselves. That's why... When we look at this scripture and think about it carefully, if you will, there are things we can learn about our own spiritual lives, things we can learn about our own relationship with Christ, and especially things we can learn about our prayer lives, about prayer. The the passionate question that Jesus asks here is amazing. It's Jesus who responds to their question with the question, which Jesus loves to do, when they say, would you give us anything we ask? We're about to ask you a question. Whatever we say, you say yes. And Jesus says very patiently, very graciously, what is it that you want me to do for you? That's the question. What is it that you want me to do? to do for you. I guess in some ways that that is the premise of our prayers. The fact that there is a God, there is Christ, who is listening to our prayers and is there waiting to hear what we will say. And that is in some ways the premise of prayer, that there is truly a relationship between me, between you, and between the God who made us. And it's just absolutely, absolutely awesome to imagine that the God of the universe is actually listening to me when I would talk to him. That's amazing, but that's what prayer is. Prayer is in itself a celebration of relationship, of talking and listening, and that's the amazing part of it. And it's really just that simple. It's a relationship where there's talking and listening. All relationships depend upon communication. And prayer is the communication that happens between you and the Lord. It's just that simple. But it's also complicated. We complicate it. Because the truth is, we have a very, very difficult time getting over ourselves. A very difficult time being in relationship with anybody, not to mention the Lord, because our primary relationship is with ourselves. The primary person that I love is myself. And honestly, the primary person that most of us want to hear talk is ourselves. So as James and John walk along with Jesus, the whole time Jesus talking, the only voice they hear is the voice inside their own heads. And the only thing they can think about is what they want. 
This, my friends, is not exactly the key to effective prayer. You cannot focus on yourself. You cannot just be thinking about what God can do for you. So let's just stop and learn a quick lesson right here. First lesson, you've got to focus on Christ. If you're going to have a relationship with him, you've got to focus on Christ. And if you are even thinking about opening your mouth to pray to him, to make a request, you need to stop first and understand that you don't have the first word in prayer. Jesus is already talking. Is that clear at all? Do you understand what I'm saying? He's already talking. And so when you begin to pray, you've got to focus on Christ and what he's already been saying. You don't have the first word. Jesus is already talking. You should be listening. So how about before we open our mouths to pray, before we start our long list of requests, why don't we stop, focus on Christ, and listen to what he's been saying. Listen to what he's been saying. Because to be real honest, the conversation's already happening. As a pastor, I have people all the time telling me that that they don't feel like Jesus speaks to them. They don't feel like they hear God's voice. And, And if we could be honest, and we won't even try to be, but if we could be honest, many of you listening to my voice right now would say that that you don't know that you've ever heard God's voice. You would say that you're not sure that that you've ever heard God speak to you. That when I say that Jesus is already speaking first, at that point you think I've already lost you. Because you're really not aware of that. You really don't focus on the fact that Jesus speaks to you. I'm telling you, he does. And honestly, I think you know he does. It's a whole lot easier to walk around and say, Jesus never speaks to me than to have to face the fact that he's been talking, but you refuse to listen. Just simply refuse to listen. Jesus is talking to you right now and every day and every moment. It is Jesus' voice that is running in your heart. It is Jesus who first comes to you and asks you, pleads with you to put your faith in him. It's the first thing he's always going to say, that he loves you, that he wants to forgive your sins. He wants you to walk in freedom and grace and the life he has for you. He's going to offer you salvation. And you've got to listen to that. That's his voice. It's always been his voice. And as long as you won't listen to that voice, you're not going to be able to hear anything else. You've just got to listen. Listen as he tells you that he loves you. Listen as he calls you to put your faith in him and be his follower, be a Christian. Listen to that voice. That's the voice of Jesus. But beyond that, for those of you who would say you are Christians and you would still say you don't hear his voice, I'm saying I think you do. I think you know better. That's his voice that's telling you that you should not get drunk. You understand? That's his voice that's telling you that you should not be cussing at your kids. That's his voice telling you that you should not be lying to your boss. That's his voice telling you that you should not be keeping secrets from your spouse. That's his voice telling you to get up on Sunday morning and bring your family to church. That's his voice telling you to get up and serve him, do something for others. That's his voice. It's always been his voice. And you're telling me you've never heard that? I don't believe you. 
I know he talks to you. But I also know that if you and I are not willing to obey what he says, we can absolutely turn our ears away and we can say we don't hear, but we hear. We hear a lot. It's his voice. Listen to his voice. When you're about to pray, focus on Christ and his presence. This is not about you. And understand, Jesus is not the genie in the bottle that pops out when you take the cork off and ask you, what is it that you want me to do for you, Master? That's not the game Jesus is playing with you, although you wish that were the way it was. He's not doing that. Prayer does not begin with Jesus just popping up saying, three wishes for you, buddy. Actually, it's Thursday, so I'll give you one for free. Four wishes. That's not what Jesus says. And very honestly, if you want to pray... You've got to understand that James and John in this moment, they've got it backwards. They're praying backwards. It doesn't work this way. Jesus is not there to serve you. Jesus does not exist to serve you. You exist to serve him. Do you understand? We pray backwards. We assume that God is there to do for us when honestly We are created to do for him. So the first question of prayer should not be, Jesus, will you do whatever I ask you now? I'm going to start talking, and I want you just to start saying, yes, Jesus. I want you to rubber stamp my life. Whatever I want, would you please just rubber stamp it? Would you please just say okay to whatever I want? That's the deal you'd like to negotiate. But Jesus says it... It does not work that way. Do you want to get serious about prayer? Focus on Christ and what he's already been saying to you. Listen to his voice. And then if you want to say something, maybe the first thing you should say is not, Jesus, will you do whatever I ask? But maybe you should say, Lord, I want to do whatever you ask of me. Maybe if you would focus on that question, Lord, what can I do to serve you? Maybe that's when you start praying. Maybe now you're praying. So James and John say, Jesus, whatever we ask you, we just want you to say yes. Would you just say yes? I'm going to ask you a question and you just say yes. The answer is yes. Jesus says, what is it you want me to do for you? They said, Jesus, when you get to your kingdom, when you are bathed in brilliant glory, when you are there where you're going to be on your throne, could we possibly, just the two of us, could, could, could we have the, the two seats beside you? Now, we don't care which one. We'll leave that up to you. But one of us wants to be on the right and the other on the left. Jesus, could you do that for us? That's their request. That's what they say. That's what they're asking for. And what does Jesus say? I just love Jesus. And I don't know how in the world he doesn't just sometimes laugh in our faces. But Jesus doesn't laugh. He just says the truest thing in the world. And what he says is, you really don't know what you're asking. That is the truest thing that Jesus could ever say about any of my prayers and yours too. We just don't ever know what we're asking. Now, we know what we want I do know what I want, or or I think I know what I want. 
One day I was in, in Lowe's. I think we left Casey at home, which is always a mistake. Wade and I were in Lowe's, and Wade was a little bitty guy. He was still in the cart, understanding he was little. And we were going through the paint aisle, and Wade said, Daddy, can we paint my room? Okay, that's request number one from a what, four-year-old kid. I'm you know, supposed to be the mature one. I said, sure. <laughs> what color? Pick out a color. So we looked, and within the course of about three minutes, he picked out a color, and I bought paint. And we went back to the house that day, and Casey standing in the doorway, kind of crossed her arms, kind of shaking her head. And I just started painting his room, the color he picked, which was green. Started painting his room, just painting away, thinking I'm doing exactly what he wants. But all of a sudden, I realized the room is really quiet. It's really quiet in that room. And Wade's on the bed. And Wade does not look happy. And Casey is in the door. And Casey is not happy. And I turn around and say, what's wrong? And Wade says, I don't think I want my room painted. Guess what color his room is now? Green and blue. Yeah, I I found a way to stop in the middle. My point is, you know, your four-year-old, every time he asks for something, he doesn't necessarily know what he wants. He thought he knew what he wanted, thought a green room sounded good until he had one. He just didn't know. The problem is this kid who didn't necessarily know much had a dad who didn't know much either. I'm just dumb enough to give him what he wants. I am so thankful that my heavenly father knows more than I do. And I am so thankful that when I pray in ignorance, he still answers in wisdom. When I pray in ignorance, and honestly, all of my prayers are in ignorance. I never know what I'm asking. I just can't know what I'm asking. And I don't know if you're like me, but every time I open my mouth, something stupid flies out. I just want to say to the Lord, Lord, please don't ever give me what I ask for. Don't trust me. Don't let me decide this stuff. Lord, you just take control. You answer all of my needs in the way that you know is best. Please don't listen to me. Please don't take my request. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm asking for. We don't ever know. You can't listen to us. I don't know how many of you were in the new members uh, orientation this this last round, and we had the luncheon the other day. Uh, this is so great. New members were in a room, and Andrew Causey, Andrew is so awesome. I love Andrew. Did a great presentation about the music ministry and how new members could be involved. And at the end of that, I mean, he was awesome. And at the end of that, he said, are there any questions? And there weren't any questions. So Andrew said, well, if you'll pardon me then, if there are no questions, I- I'm going to slip out. I need to fix my G-string before the 11 o'clock service. And he left. I need to fix my G-string before the 11 o'clock service. Y'all thinking this through? Y'all know what he was talking about? I mean, seriously, you know what he's talking about? Because there are people in that room thinking, that 11 o'clock service must be different. Honey, we're going to stay for 11 o'clock service today. That must be the contemporary service. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. What was he talking about? I'm going to fix my G-string before the 11 o'clock. <laughs> what was he talking about? Yeah, he plays guitar 
and the G string on his guitar snapped. And so he wanted to fix that before they left the service. But that's something he says, I'm going to fix my G string, if y'all pardon me, before the 11 o'clock service. Yeah. Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, Andrew, God bless you. That is just like all of us. We don't know what we're saying. And we want to step in and start, start telling God how to do things. We want to step in and tell God to follow our plan. Our plan. I don't know if you remember it. I, I'm, I'm always a news junkie, a politics junkie, and I remember the very first, very first um, press briefing that Donald Rumsfeld did after the Iraq war had started. And some of you may have seen that as well. No matter how you feel about the war or Rumsfeld, just remember what he said that day because it's a pretty good line. Uh, the war didn't exactly start as we expected, and it didn't exactly go as everybody had been prepared for. And so one of the reporters stood up and asked Donald Rumsfeld, he said, I'm just a little bit, I, I just want to ask you, you know, Rumsfeld, I want to ask you about the war plan. I want to know why that the troops didn't follow the war plan. Donald Rumsfeld, you know what he said? It was just awesome. He looked at that reporter, this is why they didn't like him. Looked at the reporter and said, I don't believe you have the war plan. What was the reporter saying? It didn't go like I expected, but Rumsfeld just reminds him, I don't believe you have the plan. So so listen, when it's time for us to pray, we need to understand that we don't have the plan. We don't see the plan. And, And my desires and my expectations are not the plan. And I'm telling you the truth with all of the honesty that is in my heart. I don't want God to follow my plan. Sometimes I'm very conflicted in my prayers because I want things for me and I want them so desperately and I long for things to go my way. I want God to fix all of the problems except I want everything to end up laying exactly where I would lay it. And Jesus says that's not how it works. You don't know what you're asking. Now what did they ask for? They asked that when Jesus comes into his glory, that, that they, could, they could have that glory too. That's what they're asking. And that moment when the spotlight shines on you, Jesus, could a little bit of it also shine on us. And that moment when you were on your throne and you were in your place of honor, could we also have some of your honor, one on one side and, and the other on the other? Could we possibly share some of your glory? You don't know what you're asking, Jesus says. Now, what is it that they don't know? What they don't know is everything Jesus has been saying now. It's the conversation they interrupted to put their own foot in their mouths. Jesus was explaining to them that before the Son of Man ascends to his glory, he's first going to suffer. In other words, this glory that they desire, it's connected to something. It's connected to suffering. And although Jesus understands what they're asking, he also knows that they don't know what all they're asking for. There's a whole lot more in this than they can possibly imagine. The glory you seek is connected to something else that you don't understand and you would not perhaps be asking for. It's connected to suffering. If you're going to share my glory, you will also have to share my suffering. 
in ways you don't understand. It's those connections that we don't understand, the way everything is connected to everything else. The the seats of glory that they were requesting were going to be connected to a long road of suffering that they could not possibly understand, and they would probably think twice before asking for it. It was connected to something they couldn't see, and it was also connected to the the, the places of glory that other people will have when Jesus is on his throne. Their place is connected to other people's places, and and what they want somehow connected to what God is going to do in, in the end. It's this amazing web of connections, and everything is connected to everything else. Stuff is connected to other stuff. And we can't see those connections. When you go to the Lord in prayer and you take your long list of requests and you tell him what you want, you just don't see how what you're asking for is connected to other things that you probably wouldn't be asking for. You don't see that. You don't know what you're asking. When you ask Jesus for glory or for prosperity, when you ask Jesus for your team to win the Sweet 16, you don't understand what you're asking. You don't know how your requests are connected to other people's requests. You don't know how much bad stuff could be connected to what you think is good stuff. It's all connected. You don't know what you're asking. You never really know what you're asking for. So let's be thankful that when we ask in ignorance, God always answers in wisdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus says. This glory that you desire is is connected to a long road of suffering. Before you can taste that sweet taste of victory, there is a, a bitter cup of suffering to drink. I know you have an appetite for glory, Jesus says, but but how's your taste for suffering? Can you drink the cup of suffering that I will drink before I experience the glory of the Father? Can you do that with me? Yes, they say. Yes, we can. Jesus says, indeed you will whether you know it yet or not and whether you understand it yet or not and whether or not you're prepared for it at all, you will. But you know what? To grant what you're asking for is just not how it works. And honestly, that's prayer. I know that when you pray and you tell Jesus what you want, you want to guarantee that that's exactly what you're going to get. It doesn't work that way. I thank Jesus that it doesn't work that way. Because I don't ever know what I'm asking. And I'm always asking out of ignorance. I want Jesus to answer in his wisdom. I don't get guarantees that I get everything I ask for in prayer. And I praise God for that but it is guaranteed that we will have everything that he promises us and we will understand and know what he promises us if we listen to what he's saying to us. I want to ask you to pray and I want to ask you to pray right now before we end this time together. I want you to pray. 
I want you to begin by focusing on Christ and what he's already been saying to you. There are some things that you need to do for the simple reason that Jesus is asking you to do them. And this is prayer, my friends. You listen to the Lord's voice and then you obey. You obey him. There are things right now that you need to do for the simple reason that Jesus is telling you to do them. And I'm asking you to listen to him as he tells you what those things are. There are things right now that you need to stop doing for the simple reason that Jesus says stop doing them. And I want you to focus on him, listen to his voice, and you stop doing whatever he says stop doing. This, my friends, is prayer. You listen to what he says, and then you obey him. And then if there's any asking to be done, I just want to ask you to maybe change the direction of the questions. Rather than coming before Christ and saying, Jesus, there are some things I want you to do for me, before you go into your long list of requests, why don't you begin by simply saying, Jesus, what do you want for me to do for you? What is it that I can do for you? And then whatever he asks, the answer is yes. When you say yes to him, now you're praying. Now you're praying. So pray with me. Oh Christ, we exist to serve you. You have created us that we might share your glory. And we are filled with awe and fear when we realize that we are in your presence. Jesus, even though we have just begun what is for us a new prayer, we know that even before we have spoken, you were speaking. You were speaking. So help us, Lord, not to interrupt your voice, but simply to stop and wait and listen for what you say. You were speaking first. Lord, there are things that you are asking us to do And we must do them for the simple reason that you have asked us. And there are things that we must stop doing for the simple reason that you have commanded us to stop doing them. Lord, you are the master. We are your servants. Lord, we don't come to you today to ask you to do something great for us. Instead, beautiful Savior. We have come to ask that we might do something great for you. Lord Jesus, let us do something great for you. Just ask us whatever it is you want to ask us. Just ask us, command us. We're telling you, Lord, up front, our answer to you is yes. Our answer to you is yes. We pray as always in the name of Jesus. Amen.